The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last semester, my sociology class and our criminal justice class wanted to do something together. And the only unsolved cold case murder in Carter County we live in was this redheaded girl that got killed and dumped inside a road. So as we were investigating that, I found out that wasn't that unusual in Tennessee in the 80s. She was in 84, I believe. So... I was looking into that and just stumbled upon the redhead murders. We don't believe she was part of that. But anyway, this semester, I decided to see if the students would be interested. And they were just all over themselves. And I got a good, I really do have a good class. So I said, what's that we can do with it? And so that's what we've been doing this semester. This is Alex Campbell. He is a social studies teacher at Elizabethton High School in Tennessee. For the last three months, his sociology class has been investigating the redhead murders. Two weeks ago, he reached out to me after discovering I, too, have been working on this series of cases that plagued the Tennessee area over three decades ago. I'm trying to think which of the Jane Doe's is from your area. The closest one is Greenville. Okay. The Green County Jane Doe. She was found right beside 81. Interstate okay. one, which runs into 40 down near Knoxville. So we're about 30 minutes from there. That was another thing that made the kids interested was that they didn't realize a serial killer was striking so close to where they lived. So yeah. I think that kind of really appealed to them as well. I think what catches me off guard about this whole thing is it's not one that most people know of. Agree. And I think part of that is because they never came out and said there was one killer. Yeah, that's true. And so if we totally feel that it was, that there was six victims that were all linked to one. That's odd that you say that because when I first started looking into the case, it was about mid last year. And one of the first things I did was I looked at each of the cases of the victims who, over the years, people have said, oh, this might be someone that's included. And I narrowed it down to six people to include in the series. Whether or not that's the same six people that you guys have been looking at, I don't know. This was my first experience of working cases when I didn't have family members involved. And so because of that, it was also my first case of not having the family members and the detectives involved. That's been a new experience for me. Also, only one of the women have been positively identified when I started this, and that was Lisa Nichols. So typically, I've only ever worked cases with one victim. So this was my first time on my podcast series where I'm covering many victims for the entire series. And so what I've been doing 
and picking one victim at a time and covering their story completely before moving on to the next victim. Because I'm not used to, there, clearly there's not much information about most of the Jane Doe's. We only know factual information that's been shared through old newspapers and things throughout the years. So that's been a big hindering problem with the research that we've been doing. So far, have you listened to series yet? I have, yes. With Lisa Nichols, do you feel like she was a part of this series? Yes. Yes, it's Lisa Nichols. It is the Green County, the Wetzel County, the Cheatham County, the Knox County, Kentucky, and it's either the first or second Campbell County. It's not the one that's a nine-year-old girl. Yeah, I think that we have the same list of people. Yeah, I don't know. Um, here's the thing. There hasn't really been a break in the case since they identified Lisa Nichols. And I'm hoping that when this DNA comes back, and hopefully that's any day, that it will be the first break in, say, about 35 years. And what we're hoping to do with my class is that I told them to come up with a strategy for what they wanted to do. And so they've decided to contact every newspaper and television channel that covers the area where the victims were found. And they would like to have them run a story all on the same day and media blitz of attention to see if they can generate any leads. Yeah. If the DNA comes back and it's positively her, then that would be a great time to say, look, this is our first lead. Let's see what we can do. The DNA Alex is referring to is that of the Jane Doe found in the fridge in Barberville, Kentucky. In the last episode, you heard from Elizabeth, the young lady that is waiting for this DNA results to come back to confirm if this is her mom. The press conference Alex refers to is happening on May 15th. I will be traveling to Elizabethton on that day to be a part of this press conference. It would be a big deal if we could actually get the TBI to come out and admit that this is one killer. Oh, it would be a huge deal. Yeah, because they've never been linked together officially. Not all of them, of course, but those six. A lot of people have seven, but the first chief, I believe it's the first Campbell County victim, was found not near a major highway. She was found very far off the road, and she was, of course, very young. We feel that she should not be included, so that would give six. And we think that actually naming the killer and admitting that one person is involved in all of these would be a big thing. Anybody who thinks that you have multiple killers in the same place with the same signature and the same MO at the same time is out of their mind. That never happens. I know that the TBI was called in and they actually caught on an FBI profiler in the 80s, but nothing, as far as I can see, was ever released as to what they said. They never profile of one killer. I think if they could admit that, that would be big. Up until now, I believe that this is the first time a podcast has covered these women. So I had a group of students doing nursing stuff like that, and that's all they could find. Alex challenged his students to come up with a profile of the killer responsible for these six murders. So I believe it was 21 character profiles they had to come up with, not just the characteristic itself, but they had to, this is for me, to evaluate them. They had to give me a rationale for why. After hearing about this elaborate eight-page profile his sociology students created on the killer, I decided to travel to Elizabethton, Tennessee, to hear firsthand about this profile. The sex is male. The killer only preys on females, and serial killers almost always target the opposite sex or those they feel sexually attraction to unless it is a comfort killer. The killer was able to overpower the victims attacking up close with their hands, which indicates a larger or stronger male's ability to overpower a smaller or weaker female. There has been no recorded female serial killers that killed by using their bare hands or up close methods of killing. Females are almost always comfort killers that use poison. Rarely they have used weapons to kill, but those who have been guns, knives, axes, etc. 
as they allow the female to gain power and advantage over male. Also, females almost always kill people they know. This killer is killing people he doesn't know. The distance between the roads and where the bodies were discovered are significant, which shows that the killer had to have enough strength to carry the bodies over broken ground, usually at least dozens of yards away or up or down gradients to dump sites, without drag marks or use of any mechanical advantage. Also, assuming the killer is a commercial truck driver, nearly all in this time period were male. Age. Date of birth would be no later than 1962, but no earlier than 1936. Nearly all serial killers began their murders in the late teens or early to mid-twenties. This is the age that most mental disorders often manifest themselves and are diagnosable. Not that some do not begin to display certain signs of disorder at younger ages, the killer would need to be relatively full-grown in order to accomplish the killing since they were committed with their bare hands. A teenage boy still not fully physically mature would most likely not feel comfortable using only his hands against a fully physically developed woman. The killer must also be of or above the legal age required to possess a commercial driver's license in order to carry out the killings at such a long distance since most feel that he was a truck driver, so that rolls out minors. At the upper end of the age range, he would be 48 at the time of the last known victim. There comes a time when age, health, strength will become a limiting factor in killing with your bare hands and moving adult bodies over distance. We feel that around 50 would be the time period that would begin to limit his physical ability to no longer conduct the crimes in the same way. Height, 5 foot 9 inches to 6 foot 2 inches. The killer must be average height or taller in order to overpower the victims, most of which fall into the average height ratio for women efficiently. It would not be practical for the killer to attack someone bigger and taller than himself due to the fact that he used his hands to kill. Also, if the killer had to carry victims to the dump site, he would need to be able to hoist them and carry them without leaving evidence of the body's movement like drag or carry marks. On the contrary, if a trucker was inordinately large, he may scare a victim into not being alone with him or draw attention at truck stops, restaurants, and rest areas that truckers frequent. Weight. 180 pounds to 270 pounds. The killer must be average to above average in weight in order to have the confidence that he can overpower the victims with only his hands and brute strength, and place their bodies with only physical power with little trouble. It is likely the killer has a muscular build because of the way he kills and disposes of his bodies, also, the truck driver lifestyle is often sedentary, and they carry extra weight due to their job, especially as they get older. Weight factors into his success in the methods of killing, including strangulation, suffocation, and blood force trauma. We can also conclude that since he is most likely from or living in the South for a long period of time, and the South is consistently rated as the most overweight section of the contiguous U.S., that there is a higher chance that he carries extra body weight. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Where does he live slash work? His job as a truck driver most assuredly requires him to frequently travel Interstate 40. 
All of the murders trend along the Interstate 40 corridor or along roads that branch off the interstate, such as Interstate 75 or Interstate 81. We feel that many of the possible Jane Doe's outside of the main six are from areas that do not fit this pattern and can thus be excluded. The only victim that is not found along an interstate is the Wetzel County, West Virginia victim, who was only found along a state highway. We do recognize the difference in this one part of the MO, but we also feel that this was most likely his first victim known by looking at police data from the crime and estimations about time of death. It would not be that unusual for there to be a small change in MO after the first victim that does not indicate a change in signature. That road still connects two major cities in West Virginia, and the victim was possibly hitchhiking from one of those. Knoxville appears to be at the geographical center of the murders and also has Interstate 40 going through it as well. We feel that anywhere along the Interstate 40 corridor running from Knoxville to Nashville is a possibility there are more bodies found along interstates that connect through Knoxville. We feel that the killer either lives in a close proximity to Knoxville or works out of there as a part of his job. Nashville is another possibility, however, unless there are unknown victims that would shift the geographical center of the killings. We feel that Nashville only appears to be a possibility because of its proximity and size, which causes Interstate 40 to run through that city. Motive to kill. Mission but cannot rule out a lust or a sexual component. There is evidence that the killer could be motivated by a mission, thrill, or power control. We feel that a mission-oriented motive is the most likely. We have excluded lust as a singular motive, since those murders usually involve overkill, a sexual nature to the crime, including rape, and object penetration or necrophilia. We cannot totally exclude lust as a possible motive, as the victims are found nude or partially nude, and most of the victims are most likely in the sex industry of prostitution, and they all did have a similar physical appearance. We also do not feel that it is a thrill killer, because they often perform aberrant sexual actions upon the victim, use a weapon to torture the victim, rape the victim, and usually perform object penetration. We also do not feel that it is a power and control killer, because there is almost always evidence of victim torture before death, binding of the victim, including ligatures, aberrant sexual activity, rape, object penetration, and necrophilia. We feel that this killer is most likely a mission-oriented unsub due to the fact that the killer's motives match best with the characteristics of a mission killer. After using a table produced by law enforcement to narrow the motives of a serial killer by using characteristics of the crimes, mission-oriented scored a 13 out of the possible 15, while thrill scored 11, power and control scored 10. There was no sign of rape, necrophilia, torture, binding of the hands and feet, or torture weapons. This rules out almost all other categories besides mission. Mission-oriented killers often see their victim as a mean to accomplish an end. Most of the time, these killers attack elements of society that they see as undesirable or harmful to society, and that they are, quote, helping save society by cleansing it of undesirables, close quote. These often lead them to killing prostitutes, homosexuals, homeless people, etc., and the victims in this case are most likely prostitutes, and he may feel that he is, quote, cleaning the world of trash. There are only three areas that the mission hypothesis does not totally correlate with the expected results, movement of the body after death, strangling as a cause of death, and the rape of the victim. We feel the body movement can be explained by several factors. First, many mission-oriented killers are often mentally troubled, many times entering into the realm of schizophrenia or paranoid schizophrenia. Because of this, they do not move bodies as they actually believe that they are doing good instead of breaking the law. Obviously, our killer knows he is breaking the law and doing wrong as he takes extensive precautions to cover his tracks. So he is not only mentally sane, but he also at least average to above average in his intelligence. Oftentimes, mission killers do not use strangulation as a cause of death. Our killer used strangulation on some of his victims, but also used suffocation and blunt force trauma to the head as causes of death. We feel that this is not a serious problem with our killer. With many mission killers, there is often a sexual assault or rape of the victim. 
This is not present in our killer, but he does leave his victims nude or partially clothed. We feel that his mindset as seeing the prostitutes as dirty or evil may prevent him from sexual contact with the victims. Yet he extracts some sort of pleasure from undressing the bodies and leaving them exposed. Occupation. Truck driver. The killer must travel frequently as all of the bodies except one was found next to interstates, with the one being beside a major highway between moderately large cities within the state. Commercial truck drivers have a larger radius for travel than most other jobs. The commercial freight liner would provide more concealment and space to hide a transport bodies over multiple days, as they feel a couple of bodies were not dumped until several days after their death, giving him frequent access and opportunity. A truck stopped beside the interstate is totally normal and would not call attention as a car stopped behind the interstate would. The Motor Carrier Regulatory Reform Modernization Act, more commonly known as the Motor Carrier Act of 1980, was a law that deregulated the trucking industry. Since the law was passed, the number of new firms increased dramatically. By 1990, the number of licensed carriers exceeded 40,000 more than twice in 1980. Combined with the Stagers Act 1980, intermodal freight transport surged, expanding 70% between 1981 and 1986. This caused tens of thousands of more jobs to open up in the trucking industry, which possibly could have caused the unsub to be employed in one of those new jobs thus giving opportunity to kill as he have not experienced before. Possibly his new exposure to the prostitution trade as a truck driver could have been the trigger that filled his mission-oriented motive for killing. We feel the truck driver hypothesis is more likely than the others who travel for their jobs like salesmen, nurses, etc. The reason is that killers kill and dump where they feel comfortable. Salesmen may travel the interstates, but most of the interaction with the people is away from the interstates, in towns, and in business areas. If they desire to kill prostitutes, he would acquire them in the cities. If the killer was a traveling member of the healthcare community, he would most likely acquire victims in and around the healthcare facilities. Many serial killers have killed patients in those facilities for the age. And if this killer was a member of the healthcare community, he would most likely follow that pattern. Race. White. All the victims are Caucasian. It is most common for serial killers to kill victims of the same race, over 90% do. Most killers are comfortable killing victims of the same race as they often are found in areas that are racially homogenous to themselves and do not stand out when acquiring victims. The percentage of African-American truck drivers in the 1980s was presumably lower than the average percentage for African-Americans and other jobs, as trucking did require some form of certification to qualify for the job. It would also be much less suspicious in the South, which is still experienced overt racism, for a white to acquire white victims. It would therefore be much less suspicious if the perpetrator were white and the same race as his victim. Personal relationships. Yes, possible long-term relationships. The killer shows all of the signs of being an organized killer by acquiring, killing, and dumping bodies in separate states. He also lures his victims instead of just killing them where they are found. Therefore, it is most likely that he is at least average to slightly above average in his intelligence and understands basic police techniques, which has aided his ability to remain undetected. His above average IQ helps him to understand that his desires are not normal and that he must hide them using what Harvey Cleckley referred to as the mask of sanity. He makes those around him feel that he is normal and makes others feel at ease in his presence, even though underneath he has a brutal desire to kill. He gets prostitutes and hitchhikers to go with him, although they are more willing. Even members of those communities will not go with a person that appears violent, strange, or just off. This ability will likely lead to heightened communication skills, which may lead him to being perceived 
as having an awkward sense of innocence, but an approachable demeanor. Organized killers are often capable of serious or long-term relationships. Ted Bundy was engaged, Dennis Rader was married, etc. However, if he is choosing a job such as the truck driver, it shows that he does not do well with conforming to societal expectations of having an ever-present boss with lots of conformity to rules. So this killer will most likely have been involved with serious relationships, including girlfriends, even long-term, and possibly even a wife. He will also probably have close friends that, after being told, may have seen some warning signs like sudden rage or rants against his victim type, but will most likely be surprised that he was responsible for so many violent and brutal acts. The Relative Location of Residence Around Knoxville or Nashville Knoxville may be considered the center of the crimes if the Wessel County victim is included. If the Wessel County is not included, Nashville is the geographic center. It is likely he resides in one of these cities for access to the multiple dumping sites in the interstates and roads that carry him to and from them. We do feel that the Wetzel County, West Virginia victim may be exhibiting unusual signs as it were most likely his first victim. What kind of vehicle? 18-wheeled semi or commercial cargo transport? The killer must possess a large enough vehicle to store the victims as several were held for a couple of days after death before they were dumped. The victims were also most likely killed inside the semi as well. Also, the semi would fit his travel habits and assumed occupation. Serial killers typically kill where they feel comfortable, and a truck driver would feel more comfortable on the interstate. Semi trucks provide privacy by shielding the passenger side from road view when pulled off to the side of the road. The semi also does not draw as much attention as any other vehicle when pulled off the side of the interstate. Also, most victims were seen near truck stops near the interstate, and a semi-truck is the least noticeable of all vehicles in those locations. Religion. Religious motivation. Affiliation. Possibly Christian. The killer is likely to live in or around the Bible Belt, in which the percentage of evangelical Christian adults is over 50% in most parts. Those numbers of practicing evangelicals were also higher in the 1980s than present. Nashville is known as the buckle of the Bible Belt. If the killer resides in this state, he is likely exposed to large amounts of Christianity from his family and society, even if he or his family is not devout. It would not be abnormal to find, even in homes where the members were not extremely devout, a Bible on the table, Bible verses used as wall hangings or decorations, the use of Christian teachings for significant rituals like marriage and funeral services, and trips to church, especially on Easter or Christmas. Most Christians also believe that according to biblical teachings, premarital sex and sexual relationships outside of the husband-wife arrangement are sinful. This may feed into his negative views on prostitutes and bolster the theory of a mission-oriented killer. Medical History Physical Wounds The killer may have had possible scars or marks on his body from the victims trying to defend themselves, known as defensive wounds. Since he kills victims with his hands in close contact, it would be likely that they scratched, clawed, slapped, and bit in an attempt to save their lives. This would not require medical attention and are often easily explained away as side effects from his job as a trucker, loading and securing cargo. He may have some medical history of injury from heavy lifting, insomnia, or sleep issues, and elevated blood pressure from job pressures, use of energy drinks, and use of insomnia pills such as no-dose or white crosses. He may also have a later history of high cholesterol from the frequent consumption of fast food or greasy diner food and sedentary job. Back problems or blood clots may arise from elongated periods of rest and may be slightly overweight, all as a byproduct of his job. Family history. Unstable home. Absent father. Domineering mother. It is likely that the killer grew up in an unstable home. The family members may have abused drugs or alcohol, which led to an increasingly unstable home, which included fights between adults, angry outbursts, etc. There could also have been a hot chance that he grew up with a mother of undesirable characteristics as he targets families. His father was most likely frequently absent or not involved with his life. Right or left-handed? The majority of the United States is right-handed, so it is safe to assume that he is as well. 
There's no evidence that suggests he is left-handed, and the percentage of left-handed people in America is only 12%. This rationale may have more support with access to ME reports on victims as they were either strangled, suffocated, or had blunt force trauma as a cause of death. A right-handed unsub would generally leave more physical damage to the left side of the body. IQ, 100 or above. The killers organized and nearly all organized serial killers have historically had IQs in the average to slightly above average range. It is suspected that the crimes were committed in different places than the bodies were dumped. When bodies are taken from the original crime scene and disposed of in other places, this almost always indicates an organized killer. Considering that none of the original crime scenes, including place of abduction or death, are known, it is almost assertedly an organized offender giving credence to the rational of average to above average IQ. Sexuality. Heterosexual. Serial killers tend to target the gender that they are attracted to, and he only targets females. Also, over 98% of the population surveyed in the 1980s was listed as heterosexual. It is true that we feel the perpetrator seems to be on a mission-oriented due to the fact that they are killing possible prostitutes because they are often deemed as, quote, dirty or undesirable. This may not assure that he is heterosexual by himself, but he is at least comfortable in the situation hiring a female for sexual activity, which we feel almost assuredly makes him heterosexual. Criminal History Possible Solicitation Charges Victims are suspected prostitutes slash transients and estranged from their families due to the fact the victims go unreported for very long periods of time, as long as 35 years, and were picked up on the side of the road. It can be inferred that the victims are estranged due to the lack of reports as well. Prostitutes are also very popular with truck drivers, so the killer may have been cited before for similar occurrences. He made sure to pick victims that probably would not be missed, There also may be some history of various common variety criminal activity, such as public intoxication, angry outbursts, etc. Considering he's a truck driver, it would not be unlikely that he has traffic citations associated with his job. Build. Thick and stocky. The perpetrator is able to strangle, suffocate, and bludgeon the victims with his bare hands. There is no evidence of any physical weapons, meaning the killer is confident enough to attack the victim without a weapon. He is also physically able to carry the bodies on the side of the interstate. Also, his job lends itself to short periods of physically demanding labor. All these characteristics combine to give an average to above average, athletic, stocky, slightly overweight build. Mental health. No history. Similar to the majority of organized killers, the perpetrator operates in a manner that does not draw suspicion. The killer is able to keep the mask of sanity, despite being mentally disturbed, so there is most likely no report history of mental health issue with the killer. However, there may be a history of depression, alcoholism, etc., in the family as in found with most serial killers. To summarize the killer's profile... That the students created. The killer is likely a white male that was born between 1936 and 1962. He is five foot nine inches to six foot two inches tall, with a stocky build and weighs between 180 to 270 pounds. He lives and/or works out of Knoxville or possibly Nashville, Tennessee, as a truck driver. His killing motive is mission, which means he sees his victims as a way to accomplish an end. He does have long-term relationships with others, and his religion is likely Christianity. He likely may have scars or marks on his body from victims trying to defend themselves. He likely suffers from insomnia, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, back problems, and possibly blood clots. He likely grew up in an unstable home with drug or alcohol abuse. He is likely right-handed, and has an IQ of over 100, and is heterosexual. He likely has previous criminal charges of solicitation with no mental health history. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The exact dead center is Knoxville. So that, that would make a lot of sense, yeah. And they felt like that was true. And the other thing is he starts killing in 81. And the students actually found something pretty interesting. There was law in 1980 that deregulated the trucking industry. It actually led to a doubling in the size of truckers in the United States. And the students felt that he probably went into trucking because of that law when all these jobs were offered. And that's when he started having the opportunity to travel around, be away from his family, see these girls, and have the opportunity to kill them. Wow. That's and, a very good find that your student said. Yes, yes, it was good. And it also doubled the number of trucking companies. Up until that time, they were highly regulated, very unionized. They exploded in number. And that also, the sad part is, it's probably going to make it much more difficult to track down because of just the right. sheer num the sheer number of all the trucking companies that were. And of course, a lot of them were closing down too. A lot of them opened up, didn't make money, closed down. It probably doesn't help find him. Maybe as far as just looking at trucking companies. Oh, and the other thing was like at first, I didn't want to think it was a trucker because that sounded like everybody's a trucker. So I thought, nah, he's somebody. He's a traveling salesman. And I don't know if you noticed this, but every single girl had some type of reproductive health thing going on. Either they had been recently pregnant, were pregnant, or had a C-section. Which I thought, man, this is going to be cool. He's going to be like some type of traveling nurse in a clinic or something. This is going to be great. I agree with that. I agree that it is a trucker. It just and has to be. Why did your student feel like the murder stopped mm -hmm. at a certain point? That we don't know. Um we don't, Todd Matthews gave us everything on unknown subjects all over the country. We don't really see anything else that looks like him. So I don't feel that he moved or got a new route or I don't believe that. We do not believe he's a narcissist. If a narcissist gets arrested, you'd know everybody he killed and probably a bunch he didn't. He could have gone to jail and he would have kept quiet about it because he was totally not a narcissist. And so that can happen. So it's a possibility he went to jail and didn't say anything. But it could be that he lost his job in trucking. If your opportunity is that I'm on the road, I'm away from my family, and you lose that job or you take a different job, then could be that he just lost his opportunity. It's really hard to say. I was talking to the FBI guy about it, and he said, and I don't know if I agree with him, but he's the expert, but he said that he believes serial killers could stop a lot easier than people thought they could. Yeah. Off the top uh, of your head, do you remember the amount of years between the first victim and the most recent? It, 81 to 84. Okay. So, it, But they only found them over about a year and a half, two-year period. They believe that some right. of those victims were there for two years. So probably about a four-year period, and they only knew he was out there for a couple of years. That's interesting, I think, and I hate to compliment, but I think he could be the best serial killer ever. And I'll tell you why. Everybody else they could find out who the victims were. And of course, knowing who the victim is a big help to solving the crime. And they've only identified one victim in 35 years. So he is very good at not getting caught. And that was something else, I think, that made the students very interested was they thought this could be the bad word, but this could be the best serial killer ever and he was killing people and leaving them within 30 minutes of where we live, and we've never heard of it. Very wise word. Yeah, I think the fact, I could be wrong, but I think why he's not being called is he's probably abducting in one state and dumping in another. Maybe not all the time, but I would say he is. The Wetzel County victim, we think, was his first victim because it was a little different than the rest. Not unusual yeah. for signature, I mean, for MO to change a little bit between the first victim and the rest of them. But we also found was she's the only one not found beside an interstate. She was found on State Highway in West Virginia, up near the Pennsylvania line. 
But the interesting thing about that is one of our students actually has family that lives in that area. And she actually went there and her family told her that road is a major road that connects to other roads that truckers take because that road became toll. So it is a state highway. When you look at it, it's pretty curvy, not real wide. It doesn't look like truckers would use it. Her family said truckers use it all the time, even though it's curvy and windy, and they do it to beat the toll road. So when you consider that, it's not that unusual that the body might be found there. Yeah. Do you, so, do, do your students feel like he's still an active killer? No, no, he hasn't. Like we said, we looked at everything Todd Matthews had on unidentified victims, and there's nobody that matches. So I think he stopped in 84, 85, whenever they, I think the Green County victim was the last victim. So I think that was it. I don't know what happened. I do believe he could have stopped. The thing is, there's not a lot of killers that have stopped for very long periods of time. But the other thing is, there's a lot of people who haven't been caught. If you think about this, if they're killing and then they stop, it's very hard to catch them because there's no more new evidence. So there's a lot of unsolved cases where they could have survived and just stopped. Uh, We know that the Golden State Killer actually called a victim in 2001. And it's been like 18 years or something. He called a victim. So he has obviously stopped for this long. And BTK stopped for over a decade, 15 years or something. So he believes that there are many that stop. It's just that those don't get caught and nobody knows what happened to them. And they always say went to prison and they died. But he said he doesn't necessarily believe that. He believes some actually can hold it back. And it's just that you don't really catch that many of them. So you can only get, you you only have a couple, two, three, five that kind of fit that. But it's only because they're going uncaught because they don't continue to kill. Yeah, and yeah, I was a point where, like, you know, BTK, he had the separate house. He was stealing their clothes, dressing up like them, making masks like them, taking pictures of himself, looking like them in their grave. And that's how he felt like he had already killed them and he didn't need to. I don't know what the Golden State Killers thing is, but obviously he has found a way somehow to satisfy that. And he stopped, but he was alive in the 2000s. So we believe, and this is one thing that we're really stuck on, of the seven motivations of serial killers, we felt that he was a mission-oriented killer. Now, usually people who kill prostitutes are lust killers. But if you look at, there's a program, it's on the computer, but we got a rubric. And if you look at the, I don't know, I think there's about 15 characteristics. You just go down there and you check. He matches best with mission-oriented. If he is mission-oriented, he feels like he's carrying out some type of mission against prostitutes. If he's not around them or he doesn't see them anymore, then maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to complete this mission. So possibly his entrance into the trucking industry in 1980-81 might have given him opportunity, but also introduced him to this lifestyle where he sees this. But if he left the trucking industry and got a different kind of job, then he may not have the opportunity and he may not be seeing this all the time. And so maybe he was able to do something that allows him to deal with that and he doesn't have to kill anymore. With it being mission, do you feel like it was specifically targeting redheaded prostitutes? Yes. Now, the mission may not be to get rid of redheaded prostitutes. It could just be prostitutes in general. Maybe the redhead is a some other factor that, for whatever reason, he likes. So that may not be part of the mission, but it might be part of whatever drives him romantically or whatever. Like something from his past. And, you know, I said, the people go on and on about that stuff, about, oh, I bet his mom was redheaded and she treated him like dirt. You'll never know that till you catch him. Because there's so much it could be. Or, it could have been his first girlfriend, some girl that him bad. We actually started with victimology because that's all you really have. You don't have much from the crime scene. And one of the things we started with was this idea that when people look at victims, Many times that leads to victim blaming. There's a short jump from doing a job that makes you easily kidnapped to doing a job that brought it on yourself and it was your own fault. 
we talked about that, and and I think they understood. And I think the other thing is, police only have so many resources. And right. if you don't have a family hounding them, if you don't have any friends hounding them, if they weren't somebody that you know was in the community or famous, or whatever, if you don't have anything to go on, I do understand. It's just the nature of the beast that those case is going to be pushed down. How many times you watch Dateline and it's only because mom hounded them for 10 years. Right. I get it. And there's also pressure to close cases. So if you've got pressure to close cases and you got 10 cases and this one has no evidence to help you and nobody seems to quote care if you solve it or not and nobody's hassling you, then I can understand why they focus on other cases. Uh, I do right. think there's good cops out there that say everybody deserves justice, whether anybody remembers them oh, yeah. or they. But I understand the factors that make that happen, uh, not happen many times, just because of the nature of the police work. And I, whenever he was talking about the DNA, it take years, you know. I was thinking probably because they've got other DNA that they're saying, do this one first, rush this one. Because, oh, yeah. yeah, because they could have somebody they could lock up. They have a case they could prosecute. They have something famous right. or family on top of them and so i get it right that i hate that it would take years and that's another sad state about our we live in the greatest country in the world and it takes 10 years to get a dna test done i think we can do better with some of these things but anyway i don't think the kids i know sometimes you think that maybe kids don't understand adult things very well but it seemed to me like it just made sense to them that would happen and they weren't that surprised by it yeah so, seems like a very intelligent group of kids you have. I do. They're just a mixture of all ages, but they really are amazing. We've done a couple of the projects, and they just—they're great. And it'd be great if the DNA came back, but if it doesn't before May, but maybe this will be something that can just jumpstart it because nobody knows about it. I bet if you go to Wetzel County, like nobody remembers. I bet if you go to Cheatham County, nobody remembers. What the kids said was. There is somebody that saw something. They saw a truck. It looked fishy. They saw a trucker with a girl, whatever. And they didn't think it was a big deal. They were just young. I'm not an adult. And now that it's been a long time, they probably thought, you know, if somebody would bring this up to their mind, they would probably think, I never said anything. But now that I think about it, maybe it was something. Or I was you just know, a little You know, it's funny one. that you say that. Yeah. I was going to say, it's funny that you say that because until we worked with Elizabeth and reached out to that manager at that restaurant truck stop, I think that, that was the first time he's been approached about this whole scenario since way back then. And in fact, there was another guy that we spoke with that worked at the same place, and he doesn't know anything about the redheaded killers, the redheaded murderers. He doesn't even remember this lady that was found just down the road and that she's not, she's been unidentified for this long. I thought that was very interesting for throughout this whole thing that you call someone up that lives in that area thinking, Oh, they should know because a possible victim of a serial killer was found in their backyard. Right. And they're, they're like, what are you talking about? If that's true, I would have known. And then like, suddenly they find out and they're like, okay, that's crazy. Yeah. I well, think I mean, that one of the cool things, Go ahead. I was just going to say, how are you ever going to solve a case if nobody remembers it? You're not. I'm going to tell you what, Shane, I really appreciate your time. And I like what you're doing. It seems like your thought process is right along the same as our students. It's a shame that these people have been forgotten and there's nobody there fighting for them. And they deserve it just as much as anybody else. And so I appreciate your work. I appreciated your podcast I listened to. And thanks for taking your time. And I look forward to working with you and let's just see what happens. Yeah, I feel like even if this press conference, nothing comes out of it, at least the world will now know about these victims. So they may remain nameless for a period of time, but at least they'll know that a high school teacher and his student and a podcaster decided to take it among themselves for nothing more than wanting to do it. So I feel like it's a great thing that that you and your students have done. And I, I'm when I first got that message about a high school teacher working with his students, I thought my first thought was, "What kind of class is this?" So I think that well, that's you a very cool ask, thing. You should ask, "What kind of crazy teacher is this?" That's what you should ask. It's a very valid question. <laughs>
but it's a sociology class. And I'm supposed to teach about friends, family, media, religion, socioeconomic class. I'm supposed to teach all those things, parents, kids. And really, I get to teach all those things with this murder. What kind of person goes missing for 35 years and nobody reports it? What kind of person becomes a product? What kind of person feels like that's the only life for them? What kind of person becomes a trucker? How do you write something in the media to where you get people's attention? Literally, we're dealing with everything I'm supposed to deal with. But the only difference is I'm just giving them the project. So everything is related to the project. So they really want to do it. And they never ask me why. They always know why they're doing it. They literally beg me every day. Teach me, Mr. Campbell, so we can find this killer. So I'm like, oh, you begging me to teach you. So by putting the project out first, basically they are just required to think hard and say, what do we need to know? So it gives them some really good thinking skills about analyzing things. And then they tell me what they need to learn. And I just try to teach them. And if I don't know, I just go get somebody else like the TBI agent, the FBI agent or local law enforcement. We're working with the media lady at our school who used to work at a newspaper. So she's helping with the press release and stuff like that. They just get to develop all these skills they think they need. works out. The kids are super interested. And the cool thing is, like, maybe something great will come out of it. And can you imagine how much that will change their life going forward, that they can actually affect change and help people, even though they're just a child. And a lot of people say, hey, you can't do anything. They've done something really great, and that would just, it gives them such a, I don't know, a feeling that they have voice and they have agency, and I think that's one of the best things students can learn going forth into their adult life. While I was at Elizabethton High School, I challenged the students to give a name to the person responsible for the redheaded murders. The name they came up with is the Bible Belt Strangler. A special thank you to Alex Campbell and his sociology class at Elizabethton High School for their help on this case and episode. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.